Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Day edition of Hockey Central at noon on the air here on Sportsnet 960. I'm Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, our producer today on this Flames game day as they get set to take on the Ottawa Senators once again, this time at Scotiabank Saddledome. Seven o'clock start means a six o'clock warm up here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, it also means we have a lot to talk about with our first guest. He is our Flames Insider, Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Labardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Good afternoon, Mr. Labardius. How are you today, sir? I am excellent. I'm back in a hockey arena, which always brings a smile to my face. Yeah, that that seems to be your happy place and uh, (laughs) happy that you are there as well. Um, the game that we'll be watching tonight from that arena, the Flames and the Ottawa Senators, Calgary again, uh, juggling up the lines a little bit, uh, at the forward position. Anyway, we'll start with that. Uh, it is Gaudreau, Monaghan, Levo, Kachuk, Lindholm, Dubé, Lucic, Backlund, Manjapani, Nordstrom, Ryan, and Richie on the right side, uh, at least according to, to what was seen today. Uh, anything from that group jump out to you? Well, the big one is after a two-game back to the bubble lines, they have gotten away from that group. And Jeff did such a great job of talking in our coaches' show about this team really, Peter, in many ways, has two ways to go. A plan A, which I think, at least in part, is a lot of what we see with Elias Lindholm back in the middle, uh, Dylan Dubé, who I think he's one player, Peter, to pay special attention to down the stretch. Um, I think if Dylan Dubé, who I have great faith in, but also understand that he's 22 years old and you go through the ups and downs, I think if he finds a way to break out here in the back half, Um, it could make a real difference. So he'll play with Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk. Um, You know, so to me, long-term with this group, to set this group up for more success, I, I wouldn't say that I prefer this group, but I think it's how you started in many ways. And the big difference really is, well, it's twofold. I mean, Sam Bennett looks like he's not gonna play. And um, that will, again, have lots of reverberating noise to it. Um, we're, just, we're just at a place where, you know, that situation in itself, Peter, has been, I think it's been tough on both sides, to be honest. I really do. Uh, I think it's been really tough on Sam, and I think it's been tough on the team. And at a time where it's hard to make moves, uh, it's hard to move on from people. Um, So, you know, until there's some resolution there, it's a story, don't you think, that's not going to go away? Oh, yeah. No, that, that's going to be one that is, that is hanging around. And that's going to be one because of uh, a lot of the conversation around why he may want a chain of, change of scenery in terms of maybe not getting opportunities in the lineup. When he is in the lineup, where he is in the lineup is always going to be a talking point. And now today, when he's not in the lineup, I, I think that is all, like you're seeing national reporters picking this up now and uh, tweeting out that Sam Bennett's a healthy scratch tonight. So this is, uh, until Sam Bennett is, is either no longer in a Flames uniform or comes out and says, no, I'm staying in Calgary long term, uh, this is going to be a conversation that will not go away. And not unlike a lot of his fellow teammates... The problem, you know, does lie in part, obviously, too, with him about the consistency of the play. But my guess is with Sam, you know, what has made that a little bit different is probably his assessment on others at the same time as himself. But you're right. You know, that's that's where it's arrived at, um, you know, and it looks like he's not going to play so mm-hmm. flames go back there uh david riddick starts in goal there's no doubt in my mind after the last two days that 
Jacob Markstrom will be a real possibility. I thought he might have been even in tonight, but a real possibility for Saturday. And Peter, sometimes great things happen underneath some tough things. And would the Flames have would have loved to have had Jacob Markstrom the last little while? Absolutely. But I think one of the underlying you know, positive things about the way the situation went is I think it put David back in the spotlight and it's given him lots of reps and he's had some great moments and he's had some okay moments. But I wonder without the injury, because what the team was really hoping for coming into the year is that you would have one of the better one-two punches in the league. And while it's not how you wanted to arrive there, isn't that where we are now? I feel like it is. Yes. Yeah, I do. And, and I think that in terms of the, like kind of the silver lining of what comes out of this, uh, I think that there is not that they didn't totally trust Riddick before, but I do think there's a bit more confidence that you can go to Riddick a little bit more once Markstrom is back, because it, it did kind of feel like the thought was the way the team was playing in front of him, and Riddick wasn't spectacular the first couple times we saw him. It, it kind of felt like you need Markstrom to win these games, and now I don't necessarily get that same feel. Well, I think what part of the process is is that people miss sometimes is that, you know, it was a big change for David. The summer was difficult. He went back to work. And when you analyze how a goalie plays, yes, the end result matters, but so does the process. And needless to say, David was at his best on that trip in those two excellent performances against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But it wasn't just in the 71 of the 73 that he stopped. If you watch close, it's how he did it. And... I truly believe for David, what has really happened, Peter, is he is less emotional. And when he's less emotional in his game management of himself, he's a better goalie. And when he's been at his best, my observation is that's where he's been. But yes, the the silver lining is the fact that you now feel more comfortable in the back half of this shortened season playing both guys because David needed time and having Jacob play as well as he did before he got hurt allowed him to build his confidence, play some good games, get some reps in a situation to allow his game to grow. It's funny looking at the numbers now. If we would have said at the beginning of the season, all right, um, we are 23 games in. Markstrom started 15. Riddick has started eight. It's like, yeah, that's maybe a little bit more lopsided, but I, I can see that, I suppose. And it, it's just, we got here much differently than I think a lot of people would have expected. Um, well, what, back, the I, oh, sorry, the only comment I would make on that, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast involving Paul Maurice the other day. And, um, you know, I, I think it's different here for sure. Um, Paul Maurice, the way he feels about Hellebuck and Brassois, of course, a different situation, is he sees it a three-to-one. This one, to me, when I think about Jacob Markstrom, A, it's always different because you need to win games and you have to play the best guy, and you went out and you got the bell of the ball. But I still see it as a 70-30, 66% split at least because – if this is your guy and you went out and got your guy, you're going to ride your guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we will see. I'm excited to see Markstrom back in the lineup uh, whenever we get a chance to. Uh, it sounds like if something were to happen to Riddick, Markstrom is available to uh, to check in tonight, but Riddick will get the start. Uh, also checking back into the lineup tonight is Derek Ryan, the most consistent flame for Calgary a season ago. Um had a bit of a rough start at, at times as again, this team was trying to find their sea legs in terms of lines and stuff like that. We mentioned before he checks back in with Nordstrom and Richie and, and on a team that is looking for consistency when it comes to effort and execution, having your most consistent player from a year ago, come back. Can't be a bad thing. No, 
and he has been so energized the last couple of days. He's missed 13 games with that fractured finger that he suffered blocking a shot in Winnipeg on the 4th of February. Um, as good a jump as I've seen him have for quite some time. Um, Derek Ryan, who may play 10 to 14 minutes tonight, Peter, you used it, and the word is consistency. And what's plagued this team more than anything else? The opposite, inconsistency. So you put someone back in your lineup tonight who's refreshed, hasn't been a part of all the negativity surrounding the group. Trust me, even though we don't get to spend time in that room anymore, um, people look up to him. Um, you know, they confide in him. This is a guy who has had an unbelievable path to the NHL. He's been a good player, you know, in the playoffs the last couple of go-arounds. I, I don't think Derek Ryan's ever really let you down, has he? No, he hasn't. No. Um, so here's a couple things before I get to him. Here, Here's something to watch for tonight. So he gives you more versatility in, in your lineup than you've had, and Glenn Godden will get there, trust me, but you have more versatility, which I think, you know, it gives you more options. It gives you this too, Peter. Think about it this way. So basically when you think about penalty killing, well, Derek gives you a great option on your penalty kill. In fact, on a night like tonight, maybe it frees up some Elias Lindholm minutes where you don't have to ride him as much. Maybe he moves down the depth chart. Maybe, maybe not. As far as because he's been your, you know, Lindholm and Nordstrom have been your number one guys when it's worked, don't you think, in terms of your penalty kill. But now when you add Derek Ryan to that rotation, whether it's Elias Lindholm, whether it's Michael Backlund, gives you a right-handed shot, a right-handed face-off option, it frees up potential minutes for others. And the one thing you can't forget about, penalty killing minutes, Peter, are the hardest minutes I believe in the game. They require the most diligence, the most details, and the hardest of work. So without him, and the great part is Andrew Mangiapane has, again, just added another little piece of his you know, resume, because he's become a pretty good penalty killer. But for a team that has had trouble generating five-on-five five scoring this year, if I can lighten the load, depending on the opponent, for some of my key five-on-five five contributors and a couple of my centers named Backland and Lindholm, don't you think that has great potential spill-off too? Oh, absolutely it does. So having Derek Ryan, to me, does check a lot of boxes. It makes you deeper, more versatile, a guy with positive energy, can't wait to get back in, and can help your group because he can take some hard minutes away from others, which should free them to have, you know, a better chance on the other side of the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and we, we've seen the last little bit, like Glenn Godden again, he, he's going to get there. I, I think we're going to see well, him regularly so in the too. NHL. Um, but at, at this point, five minutes a night, that, that's not helping him, and it's not helping the team either. And I think that Ryan back tonight really does help balance things. You talked about the, the penalty kill. The power play at the start of the season, gangbusters, and drove this team really offensively. But the last few games, I made the joke on Twitter the other day, uh, I think it was after the or during the last game, David Riddick was their best player on the power play the other night because they kept giving up shorthanded opportunities and Riddick was absolutely shutting the door. Uh, so a power play that isn't generating offense or um, any kind of momentum is one that needs to kind of get back on track. What are you seeing power play-wise with this team? Well, power plays come down to three key elements winning face-offs entries and retrieval and especially in the case of the first unit when they have had to enter the zone I don't think they've come through the middle of the ice 
with enough puck support, and more importantly, so you know how they like to use that neutral zone drop? Well, what, Peter, when you watch it, makes the neutral zone drop effective is when you take it with speed and you challenge the other team at the blue line. But here's where you get stuck, and the Flames have been a little stuck with it. Um, as great as Johnny Gaudreau can be with the puck, when you are trying to waltz your way through three and four people at the opposition line, and you're not always prepared to chip it in to speed because you come up together, you'll notice, you know, at times Johnny will come up on his own, but at other times he'll come up a lot with Lindholm. So you have to take the ice that you have. So when you keep forcing pucks and the other team can stand up for a breast and there isn't enough of a threat to chip softly in behind and go and retrieve it, that's where your entries have trouble. And they've had trouble on that first group with entries. The other thing that dumping it and chipping it and going to get it does is when the opposing team knows that has become more of a threat, don't you think it backs those guys off? Because now they know they have to go to the end of the rink or to part of the end of the rink and retrieve it. So, so there has to be a bit of a mix and a real understanding and awareness when you're the guy carrying the puck to the opposition line to take the ice and not turn pucks over at the blue line when you don't have anything. Yeah, and one of the things we talked about a bit ago, um, to avoid quite a bit of this, win the first face-off. That, that also helps as well. We talked about that a while ago. It's something I think that has got better, and you're not going to win 100% of them. Nope. But boy, power plays get a lot easier when that first face-off is won by you, isn't it? It, it, it is, absolutely. But in analyzing right now the last few games, um, and wasn't necessarily the case on Saturday afternoon because I thought they did a good job. In the games that they've struggled in against Ottawa in particular or against, you know, even going back to Toronto, a lot of even, Peter, you mentioned the big chances they're giving up shorthanded is not taking the ice or chipping pucks in or coming up with speed and turning pucks over at the blue line. In a lot of cases, mm -hmm. then it becomes sometimes two and three on one going back up the ice the other way. Even reflect back to the Toronto series. Some of the best chances the Leafs got, i.e. Ilya Mikheyev, who's pretty fast, I might add, um, yeah. came on that very scenario. When you don't handle the puck right in between the two blue lines, and especially at the opposition blue line, and now it gets turned over, and you have... Like I said, two and three guys coming back at you. That, that's what causes shorthanded trouble, and that in part is why this team has allowed four, four shorthanded goals, and even on that trip, that number could have gotten to six, seven, or eight. Yeah. Chatting with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, here on Hockey Central Noon, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, I, I know we touched on it the other day, but I do kind of want to go back because I, I find Drake Batherson incredibly fascinating right now six game goal streak and uh, saw the stat today he has more goals in this six game game uh, goal streak than he had in the last two seasons combined um now I, I don't think that all of a sudden he's going to blossom into a goal per game player the rest of the way like at some point this is probably going to cool down a little bit but what do what do the Senators have in Batherson long term? Former fourth over, or, uh, fourth round pick, sorry, and again someone who kind of struggled to find his footing in the NHL seems to have found it now. Is this like just top six guy going forward and, and off they go, or what do you think Ottawa has with this guy? Well, my projection would be yes. I do think okay. they have a potential top six forward. I do think when everything settles itself out, because. Um, when I watch Drake Batherson, and I have going back to his time in junior, and obviously had the great world junior in 2018 in Buffalo, um, really good goal scorers, and he's a pretty good goal scorer, and we've talked about how hot he's been 
is your ability. So think of some of the best players in the game that can finish. Um, you know, I wouldn't make this kind of a comparison yet, but Mark Stone for me, and this guy isn't Mark Stone, so don't don't get me wrong, but um, I see a player who's very smart, finds open ice, has a great release, doesn't cheat you on the other side of the game, and like I said, has a real feel for finding open spots in the offensive zone. He's a good player. He really is. And um, I do. I, You know, if you said what kind of numbers on an annual basis, could I see him being a 30-goal guy on a regular basis? I could. I really could. I think he has that kind of upside. And he's the way he's going right now, my friend, he's not that far away from that kind of projection today. Right. But it takes time. That that's mm-hmm. that's the hard part for everybody is that, you know, we see flashes, um, whether it's players that we cover on our own team. The NHL is the greatest league in the world, and it tests you, and for a lot of young players, what has to happen and what does happen and and here's here's the analogy I'll make. And these guys won a gold medal together, and they're different players. But I see Drake Batherson to Ottawa in some ways to Dylan Dubé in Calgary. I think I think Dylan Dubé has top six abilities all day. And and unlike Drake, his calling card is his speed and he's tenacious. And he can do all those other things. So Drake does it differently. But why do young players struggle to get there? I know why. Because what allows you to be at your best offensively comes from understanding and your commitment to being a really good player away from the puck. And also when you're young and you come out of junior hockey where you have been a high-producing player, like both those guys were, well, the next step, Peter, is the details and the work have to be in place, the foundation, a lot of times before your best attributes can show. And I think, you know, Drake is just taking another step this year. Yeah, and it's it's easy to take that offensive shot uh, step when you have that shot. Hey, like holy cow! Even, oh, it's a great release, like, isn't it? I, oh, that yeah. that's what he does. That's that's the two things in the offensive zone. It's two things. The release is great, but as great as the release is, don't discount your ability to find areas in order to shoot the puck and make mm-hmm. yourself available. That those yeah. are those are skills that you know. That's what hockey IQ is, Peter. It really is. It's finding space to be effective and use your. I mean, the greatest one of the greatest players I've ever watched do that. Two guys, Mike Bossy and Brett Hall. Their ability to find open area with how they release the puck. About as great as I've ever seen. Yeah, and they uh, they scored a couple goals in their day. Uh, yeah. One guy got 86 one year. Yeah, I've heard that's good. Uh, Peter Labardius, our Flames insider, thank you very much for this. Um, hopefully we get a, a pleasant conversation after a good Flames performance tonight when we chat tomorrow. Yeah, you know what? I have a sense we're, we're going to have good things to talk about tomorrow. Yeah, I do as well. Thanks, Luke. Okay, have a great one. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca.
Part of our conversation with Lou tomorrow is going to feature Lou's mailbag. Send your questions, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Tune in Fridays at noon to see if yours is answered. If it is, you're going away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Winners will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Lou's mailbag brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Book your table today to enjoy their award-winning steak. A world-class dining experience awaits with added efforts to ensure safety and comfort it wasn't a comfortable start to the season for David Riddick but it does seem like he's found a bit of a groove Kevin Woodley will explain why this stretch is very important for the Flames goaltender coming up next Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 the fan position is always going to draw a lot of interest from hockey fans and a lot of times it is tough to figure out hey how did that guy stop that but that guy couldn't goalies are voodoo as we like to say um the man who coined that phrase here at this station anyway is ryan pinder he chats weekly with kevin woodley on thursdays today is thursday so let's hear that conversation now our resident goaltending expert it's kevin woodley of in goal magazine and of course nhl.com talking Canucks as well. Mr. Woodley, how are you? It's been a week. I'm good. I'm good. And you know what? The, the only good good thing about the pandemic, and there are not very many good things, is the fact that I actually haven't been on the ice now for an entire calendar year, pretty much like to Jeez. the day. So when you introduce me as a goaltending expert, there's actually no recent evidence that people would laugh and say, yeah, right. So including most of my beer league teammates when they, when they hear comments like that. So that, that's yeah. the positive. Apparently in Vancouver, when you do your hits, you're like, boy, that guy sounds like you, but you haven't seen him play, have you? You don't exactly. get that here. I, have, I, like, I got to sign up fans. for my uh, beer league under a false name so nobody can look up the stats. Wevin Kudley. Okay. Um, let's start in Calgary. It uh, wasn't by design, and it probably was after abandoning an original plan that had him playing more, but David Riddick did get some action for the Calgary Flames in the last week. Solid performances in Toronto and uh, some ups and downs in Ottawa, but four starts and five and a half days at one juncture. What have you made of the check puck stopper that really uh, he only got two starts in the first 16 games and suddenly he's started the last five? Yeah, and that there's probably therein probably lies the problem, right? And we talked about that and talked about it a couple weeks now where you know, hindsight's easy, but I said it before they went into that Vancouver series. You needed to find a way to get David Riddick to play more. Um, he was great in Toronto, probably going a little bit almost on just instinct and adrenaline. And when you're getting pounded like that on the shot clock, it's almost easier, right? Like you're not thinking. Um, you're just going out and playing. And uh, you saw a few moments in Ottawa where maybe the brain turned on a little bit too much. And, um, you know, some obviously regrettable decision with the puck in that one. Um, but for the most part, like... Like it's, I'm kind of torn here. Like he was great in in Toronto, and yet, if if the narrative coming out of that was like we're back as a team, like like that was those were goalie wins, right? Like there still seems yep. to be a lot of issues when I watch this team that really don't have much to do with the goaltending. And that said, uh, you know I think it's fair to say that when you look around the league and how teams have handled tandems, there's probably a lesson here. You know, and hey, the Oilers learned it the hard way. Like this is the hard part here. Everything is so tight, and you have to win, right? Like, the pressure is immense. Unless you're the Maple Leafs, you can go roll out your third and fourth stringers and not worry about it right now because they built such a cushion. But everybody else is in a dogfight. And so when you get a goaltender on a hot streak, like Jacob Markstrom was early in the season, like Mike Smith was just a week ago, um, the temptation is to just keep pounding them out there and not look long-term. And I, I really think that's the wrong thing to do this season. You have to find a balance so that, you know, you don't, you don't end up with a hurt Markstrom after playing seven in a row and David Riddick having to play – four and five, right? Like that's just not ideal. So um, when both are healthy, I hope they find a little bit of a better balance there. I think I'd look to, to Winnipeg as the way they've done things. Like Connor Hellebuck's your Vesna trophy winner. Lorraine Brassois is clearly your number two. And yet there are times when Helly's been playing well that they've gone to Brassois because they look at the schedule and that's the plan. That's how they figure they get the best out of both of them rather than we need our best guy at his best to have a chance to win tonight. The Canucks, Edmonton went the other way. Mike Smith got on a heater. They kept rolling him out there. Miko Koskinen got some time to work with the goalie coach, played two excellent games. But as it got into that fourth and fifth start in a row for Mike Smith, 
and he wanted to keep the net. You've seen that there in Calgary when Mike Smith's going, he wants to keep playing, and he can ask for that and, and almost insist upon it at times in his career. I would have argued you needed to go back to Koskinen sooner. So you waited a little longer, and you lost Miko in the process. So it's a, I'm not saying it's easy. It's a tough act. Vancouver, they went the other way this week. They had back-to-backs. Thatcher Demko has clearly established himself as the number one goaltender here. But they had back-to-backs, and now they play every second day going forward for a while. And Demko had a shutout, his first career one in Winnipeg on the first end of the back-to-back a little bit of momentum for a team that desperately needs it. They go to Braden Holtby the next night. Uh, he gives up four, and they are not only are they all over Holtby here in Vancouver, but they're all over the decision. And the problem is, yeah, if we're in a everything's win, got to you know every last ounce out of this team every night, then yeah, I guess you would have gone with Thatcher Demko on back-to-back nights and just kept pounding him three and four against Toronto coming in here this week who's killing everyone. Like, but you have to look bigger picture. You have to look that, like, listen, Demko's a developing goaltender. We want to turn into a number one long-term, so beating the crap out of him right now, maybe not the way to go. And so they're getting hammered for that decision here, and yet when you talk to them about the reasons for it, Thatcher Demko never even went on the ice that day. He'd been on the ice pretty much every day except the mandatory day offs, either working on his game or getting ready to play um, for, like, I think it was over three weeks straight. When they didn't give him the start in Winnipeg, they said, just stay back at the hotel. Like, just do your stretching, do your work, do your physical work, but today's an off day. You're not going on the ice. And then yesterday was a mandatory day off. You have to manage these guys in that manner. You can't just keep pounding them out there. And, you know, I look to Winnipeg, and as much as Vancouver's hard to hold up as an example because of results, like long-term, Thatcher Demko is going to be better for it, and they're going to get 100% Thatcher Demko against the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight rather than a 80% Demko in the second of back-to-backs and potentially a 70% Demko by the time they drop the puck tonight. So yeah, you really do have to manage those things, and it's it's unique situation to situation, but as tempting as it can be to ride the hot hand because every win matters, um, if one win now costs you two or three down the line, then it, then, then you're probably not approaching it the right way, right? Yeah, and I was talking about exactly this earlier today with someone off the air, and the thought is, like, of course points are important, of course wins are important, of course, you know, this is a results-based business, but let, let us not lose sight. What is most important for these hockey clubs is to have their number one goaltender in a spot where they're ready to go on a long stretch in mid-May when the playoffs begin, correct? There's that too, absolutely, absolutely. And and, and it's a weird year because the numbers are all different, right, the way, like, how many, what's the perfect amount of starts, you know, we've, we've gotten into the point where like, you know, even for the elite goaltenders, 50 sort of that number, like a lot of guys tell me 50, 55. I don't know what that prorates to, I'm bad at math, uh, in a 56 game season, but even if you were to just do a straight prorate, like, I don't think that's fair because the no. season's more condensed, right? And like, travel's different too, right? Year. You can play it both ways. Like, like you're, if you're sitting in the same city for five days, that's different than, being on the charter four times and getting in at 3 a.m. different cities like everything's different this year you cannot simply prorate a number from last year or years prior right yeah and yet and yet for some guys it seems like the mental challenge of sitting in that same city and not having anything to do is a big part of it so i do think there's a lot of factors this year that are just like everybody's learning as they go um, but, but I think the common denominator in terms of making the right decision is, is sort of balancing that need for rest. Like I, I said this going into this year, I thought most teams would need to go three deep in that. Like you had to look at your, where you were and be ready to go three deep. I think the Leafs are a prime example right now. Um, because of the workload, this is not the year to, to, to ride a workhorse number one. You need to have balance. And we liked the Flames balance going into the season, but it, it just felt a little bit like, hey – and again, I get it. It was his old team, and he, wa- you know, he wanted to keep getting rolled out there. And uh, he was playing great, and he was he was their best player. How do you bench your best player? But you know, sometimes sometimes long term, you got to look long term as opposed to short. Uh, we've gone eight minutes without talking about the Montreal Canadiens. That's my fault. What the hell is going on with Montreal? And where's the end game here for both Mark Bergevin and Carey Price, who uh, doesn't necessarily uh, seem to be. Um, I don't know, thriving in, what, a decade in one of the hottest media markets in hockey? Yeah, no, like he's, like, again, we, again, we had this discussion a little bit, I think, last week. Like, 
you know, and I, and I read articles this week. Like Carey, I, again, I read articles in Montreal. Carey Price hasn't been good for four years. Like he hasn't been Carey Price for four years. I'm like, oh my god, two years ago there was only one goalie in the NHL better, and he won the Vesna. Like, I, like I feel like I have to preface this every time because every other market seems to have their head planted firmly up their ass on this one. Carey Price should have been a Vesna finalist in 2018-19. Okay, so it's not like he hasn't been good for four years, but he hasn't been good this year. In fact, he's been bad. And I, looking at some of the goals and looking at some of the statistical trends, a couple of the ones, one is new and, and one has been a couple years now. The one that's been a couple years is his screens. His numbers on screens have been well below average, and they're way below average this season. Like, he's double-digit screen goals this year um, at a time when he probably should have given up maybe three, based on the math. I do think that's a, one part of his game when you look at you know making a goalie coach change, something as dramatic as that midseason. I mean, that's pretty rare. The Oilers are the only other team in 2014 that I remember doing that. Um, but that's something that's going to have to change. Carey's a guy who likes to look low and wide around screens, uh, so you'll see him sort of drop into almost a save stance, um, sort of cut at the waist, hunched over, and he'll try to find lanes left or right of the bodies in front of him. And Kerry's movement always sort of allowed him to get away with that because he could move from what, what for a lot of guys would be a low locked-in position. Once they get into that stance, you know, their mobility is quite limited. Their ability to gain rotation and movement and, and arrive square is quite limited. Those are some of the things that we've always talked about making Kerry a human DVD how-to-goalie film, like he did that well. But now, um, I, I just don't think, especially as they, like they put a bunch of oak trees in front of him on his own team, right? Like they went to this sort of, you know, they, Mark Bergerman said it, almost like a St. Louis Blues model of defense, including a former St. Louis Blue. And now all of a sudden you've got opponents throwing traffic in there and you've got teammates that are in your way and they're bigger. And it's harder to look, look around them because they're so big. And so I do think he's going to have to maybe make some adjustments in terms of how he manages traffic. Going to have to use, because he's not a small goaltender by any stretch. He's going to have to use some of that size to maybe find windows over shoulders rather than around waists uh, and, and get better sight lines on those pucks. So that's one, and that's two years old. That's a two-year trend. And maybe something that you know, somebody whispered to Mark Bergevin needed to change and they didn't see that technical change being made. The other one is just clean shots, Ryan, like from distance, clean looks, 40 feet, going in short side. And that's where, you know, and it's hard for me to, to rip on it because when he was in the playoff bubble and so good last year, 936 in, in the 10-game playoff bubble run, like there was an aggression to his game we hadn't seen. I, I use the word assertive because it was sort of a controlled aggression. Positionally, outside the blue, challenging guys, like, and just all over pucks. His, his aggression now has sort of left him drifting a little bit. Like, and it's such a fine line because we praised him for it in the bubble. And now, if you were to look at it, you're like, like he's positionally sloppy. He's getting caught because he's too far out to one side. And he's cheating away from that side. And then the guy beats him to the side he's cheating away from. Like, I've never seen that type of anticipation cheat in carry that I can remember. I have seen the aggression. This was a trend early in his career. Once a year, he'd go on this run where he would get hyper-aggressive. As a matter of fact, it's why they brought in Steph Waite, because the previous goalie coach, uh, Pierre Grew, who's now with the Ottawa Senators, he could see that Kerry was being too aggressive. He could see the drift in his game. He could see that it was a problem, but he couldn't get him to rein it in quick enough. And so they brought in Waite fresh off two cups with the Blackhawks, because he had sort of the gravita, the authority, um, the recent success to dictate a little more and to get Kerry to just do what he told him to do. I, sounds like seven years later, some of that had waned, and so they need a new voice. And I'm fascinated to see how this goes, Ryan, because Sean Burke was a hell of a goalie coach. He had a lot of success. He's had other offers to be a goalie coach since he left that role to pursue management. Uh -huh. And I'm curious to see how this goes because he's good at it, but it's not something he wanted to do per se. But also, it's a massive philosophical difference. His approach is more like Mike Smith and Henrik Lundqvist. Goal line out, Benoit Lair disciple, and Stefan Waite was very much outside in. Aggression and then retreat with the play. And those are two very different philosophies on goaltending. Mm -hmm. And changing that philosophy on your number one goaltender midseason, that's interesting. 
Well, and I think it's even just him taking that job, I mean, would I be crazy to suggest that maybe he thinks this could lead to a management position, given how unstable things have been in Montreal? I mean, well, I, I don't want to put. I mean, Sean's a guy that we've had on the podcast that I, I every time he when he was scouting for the Canadians and he was in town, I learned something every time I talked to him in the press box. Like he's a he's got a really great mind for the game and goaltending. I don't want to try and read into you know him looking to you know first future and a job and replacing version and I think that's you know that's for others to do certainly not anything I've heard from him right but it is is worth noting um that he was already under contract to the team in a different role okay. uh, in an advisory role and in a scouting role so um in terms of taking a job he'd kind of you know shied away from before like they were already paying him so to speak so uh, and the interesting thing too is they they call they didn't call it goalie coach right, they called it director of goaltending. So much like we praise the Calgary Flames, and as much as Sean's going to be on the ice in a goalie coaching role when he gets there two weeks from now, that's the other interesting part. Like you're going to have three voices over a span of two, just over two weeks for Carey Price, mm-hmm. Steph Waite, Marco Marciano, and the AHL from moving up from the AHL for the next two weeks while Sean's in quarantine, and then Sean. So that's odd too, but. Um, you know, for, for, for Burke, it's maybe maybe it's a chance to be one of those directors of goaltending and be on more of the management side. Maybe this is a you coach and get us through this year, but next year you're in a director role if everyone survives this season and there isn't a huge blow up in Montreal, and you can pick your goalie coach and you can build a department like Jordan Sigale is doing in Calgary, like Roberto Luongo is doing in Florida, like Brian Decord is doing in Arizona. Um, you know, certainly it may just be part of fitting that trend with a guy who's obviously well-versed in the position and was already under contract in your organization. Um, th- it's a lot of money they're spending on net mining. $14.85 million in Montreal. Next year, the cap hit for Jake Allen goes down. He signed an extension that's a little friendlier on AAV, but gives him, I guess, some form of security, as much as you can have in a year with an expansion draft. I was just going to say, that's a, that's a pretty good contract for an expansion team, isn't it? Yeah, but, but at this point, like, let's not fool ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. The people that spend thousands of dollars a game wagering like the Canadians a lot more when Jake Allen's a starter than they do when Carey Price is a starter. Like, is there... An absolutely um, firm conclusion that that happens at the end of the season, or is this very much in the air? Uh, is this going to be easy to negotiate? Is this a very difficult conversation to have? I mean, what? How do they approach expansion if Price doesn't return to Vesna type form? I think that discussion depends on who's leading it. I mean, so as we Mark see all these moves, else? right, is Mark Bergevin the guy? Because I like Mark Bergevin, and, and this press conference yesterday is probably the most doubt he's cast in Kerry's direction since he got there, right? This is his yeah. contract. He has backed him every step of the way. Yesterday was sort of the most doubt, the most critical he's sort of been, and the most sort of open he's been about, you know, the decline. And again, like I said, two years ago, it, it wasn't as bad as a lot of people seem to make it out. But... Um, so, so I, I, if Bergevin's there, I cannot see it happening. But you know, I said as soon as Seattle got the franchise, you know, we had a we had a discussion um, about you know who's going to be there, Mark Andre Fleury, and my answer was, well, what about Kerry? Like, like at what point does he tire of the focus and and the spotlight? Um, He's sick of that know, media. I can tell you that. I don't, like, whatever yeah, I it is. Know, yeah, there's no question, and, and and like the lifestyle, like like this guy, I've told this story before. Like like this is not just like the spotlight there is different, and and especially on that position, like like he doesn't like he you know he he his buddy has to close the store after hour and wait till after hours to let him in to go to the sporting goods store, right? Like he, there is no normal life there for him. Can't get a coffee. Um, what's on? You can't even go and get a coffee, right? Like that's no, the difference yeah, between that, Calgary yeah, and there's, Montreal. There's, in Calgary, yeah, they recognize you, but you can get your coffee. In Montreal, you can't even get your coffee. No, and, and in Seattle, like a dream scenario. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to overdo this because who knows. But, um, you know, your wife's from Washington State. That's where he spent in eastern Washington State where in, in Tri-City where, where he played uh, junior hockey. That's where he spends most of his offseason anyways. Like, you know, there was a lot of things, even when, as soon as Seattle got the team that we sort of speculated might fit, but that was just a fun little horse around exercise. I think the way things are going, you know, it, 
you know, it, as long as he's open to it, because if I'm if I'm not mistaken, there's a no move in that contract. Um, you know, that, it, would be, it could be a fascinating discussion, and and you know his willingness to waive. I mean, when you look at all those aspects, like a fresh start, and and yet as casual as he is, and when things are going good, this is the irony, right? Like. When things are bad, it's like, oh, he doesn't look like he's trying. And this has been right back to when it was him and Yarrow Halak and that debate. Like, when things, things are going bad, it's like that casualness is he doesn't look like he's trying. When things are going good, it's what we praise him for. Like, look at just how, like, his ability to sort of never get out of control, to always look calm, to, you know, not get overly worked up by things. Make no mistake, like, this guy is a competitor and has a lot of desire, and, and I think a desire to be the guy that ultimately leads that, that city and that team back to the Stanley Cup, you know, glory of the yesteryears that you're always compared to. But, man, a get-out-of-jail-free card, a chance to go to the Pacific Northwest where he always loves his off-seasons and, re- you know, frankly regrets leaving every summer stays longer and longer and goes back to Montreal later and later. Like, he loves it out here. It would be a great fit. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a tough time seeing him saying no to that opportunity if it were to come. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're just sort of throwing, throwing darts here. And, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago, it was sort of just a, hey, well, what if? Um, you know, I think that what if, given the way things have gone this year, certainly becomes more of a, you never know, it could actually happen. Great chatting. Uh, we've got some items to get to next week uh, that we haven't touched, and that's because you do such a good job and you're so thorough on, on the topics we have touched. You mean really I never shut stuff up. In Montreal. You never finish the list. That always means there's more for next week. We'll talk then. Lots of good stuff. Thanks, Ryan. Kevin Woodley of Ingle Magazine. Thank you to Kevin for that excellent insight, as always. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza past the steaks and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. I'm Peter Klein. Our producer today is Logan Gordon. And Logo, we were talking during during a, a little bit of that interview and during the break, the Toronto Maple Leafs, are turning into an absolute juggernaut in this North division. And it is leading to some talk about how seriously should we be taking them? Is it just beating up on poor competition? And I, I don't think that to be the case. Like, I, I think last night that, that Edmonton Oilers team, uh, don't tell any other fans I said this, but that's an okay hockey team over there. Uh, also, you got Montreal, who at uh, struggling right now, but they're pretty good. The Jets are a tough out. The Flames and <laughs> Canucks and Senators. But th- there are still good teams in this division. And so I don't think this is just, oh, we'll get them away from Boston and Tampa Bay. Like, yeah, of course. They also don't get to kick the crap out of Detroit. So there are there, there's a give and take to this whole thing. I, I think this Toronto Maple Leafs team is really turning into a force, not just in the North Division, but in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it's interesting because in all of this, we uh, we won't know the success of their season based on any of this regular season stuff. They could have the best, uh, you know, regular season out of the entire league. They could win the President's Trophy, and we all know that unless they have playoff success, it's it's not going to mean anything. It's been an impressive start and against a, a good division. I think this is a a strong division, and I think even Ottawa is proving they're not a a pushover night in, night out. They've come back and given the Leafs some of those losses this year. So uh, it's been a really impressive start, and that was a, a great three-game stretch for the Maple Leafs against uh, an Oilers team that you said, like you mentioned, isn't terrible, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, and it has the Edmonton Oilers particularly frustrated uh, as Leon Dreisaitl, uh, a little testy post-game uh, after their, their loss to Toronto last night. Speaking of not good enough, your top players didn't produce much of anything in this series. Does it add to the frustration that you guys uh, really didn't uh, hold up your end of the bargain? No, we love that. We love going without a point in in three days for sure. It's great. So uh, that that typical German sense of humor. Leon Dreisaitl, uh, not necessarily happy, but... I mean, obviously, it, it can be frustrating when you hit a bit of a slide. For the Oilers, uh, again, this is going to be a weird bit of complimenting going on for Edmonton uh, on this radio station, but I, I don't think this is really anything to worry about. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs, like we talked about, they have four regulation losses this season. To your point, the when we were talking during the break, they have 38 of a possible 48 points. I, I don't think that 
the the wheels are falling off in Edmonton now just because they ended up losing to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I still think when this whole thing shakes out, Edmonton's going to be that second team in the North Division. But the one thing I will say, Logan, I didn't anticipate the gap between first and second being so great. And I only get I get that it is only one game, but Edmonton, if they want to make a, a real run at things in this division with this opportunity you have this year in this division, maybe they do need a, another move or two here coming up to to try to be able to to keep up with the Joneses out in Toronto. Maybe it comes at a good time for them. Um, it is what I think in all of this because, yes, you never want to lose three straight. You never want to lose like you did when you're you know held off the score sheet like those guys were for two of the games and almost the entire game, last game too. But maybe it's just a bit of a, a realization for that group what it's going to take to get to that next level, and you can use the second half of your season to adjust and get ready, and maybe it puts a spur in you for next time you play the Toronto Maple Leafs if you're Edmonton. It gives you some motivation that, look, maybe it's not going to be as easy as we thought it would be, or maybe we're, we need to step up our game if we want to compete with the best in this division. So I, I don't disagree with you that I think that there's still some moves that maybe they could make to improve their team uh, down the stretch, and maybe this forces that, but they're, they're still in good shape as far as a playoff spot goes in this division. And who knows, maybe it's a good motivating factor for them should they see mm -hmm. Toronto down the road this season or maybe even in a postseason setting that they, they know what the standard's going to be when they play Toronto. Given injuries and everything, we, we haven't necessarily got a, a ton of like great duels between uh, Matthews and McDavid. I wonder if those two teams meet in the playoffs, and I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they meet in the kind of the, the North Division final. Boy, a seven-game series between those two teams would be a lot of fun. I, I think people here in Calgary would just turn the TVs off because they hate both franchises. But, boy, that would be some really fun hockey being played. Yeah, you just made a whole lot of people in this city throw up in their mouths when you just said the <laughs> Leafs and Oilers in a West Division uh, playoff series. I think a lot of people wouldn't enjoy seeing that. I, there's a potential that uh, Matthews McDavid would be fun, but I think that uh, <laughs> there wouldn't be much of an appetite for it out here. Yeah, I, I, you're probably right. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I wonder, like, we would still carry that, right? If that happened to, to be the case. I'm assuming we're going to be rolling a lot with the North. Or would we just go, hey, you know what? We're going to pivot. Let's go uh, Tampa Bay, Carolina for for these games and just see who comes out of the North. I wonder how we would handle that. Yeah, we'll just take whatever series Florida's in. We'll see whatever the yeah. Panthers are doing. And, uh, you know, we'll take Jackets, Panthers. We might get some better numbers. He's Logan Gordon in the Iconic studio powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Iconic is proudly owned and operated from Western Canada. Since 2008, they take great pride in giving back to the communities we all work and live in. This is our fourth year partnering with Iconic. Really happy to have them on board as our official studio sponsor. Instrumentation, it's Iconic. Visit IconicEC.ca to find out more. The Flames are going back to the old, new lines. Whatever they started the season with, and whatever we call them then, that's what they're going with tonight, with one very interesting omission. We will discuss that as the big show uh, comes up next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. <laughs> 